This is a No Dogma podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and today I'm joined by Dylan Beatty to talk about the move to online conferences. Thank you very much for taking time out of your Friday evening, Dylan. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's nice to be here. For people who don't know you, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, so I am uh, I started out as a developer. I've been coding since writing logo on the Amstrad 6128 way back in the 80s. Uh, started building websites in the in the 90s, very, very early on with that. I've built distributed systems, uh, a lot of .NET development stuff. Through kind of, you know, getting stuck at work and looking for people to help, I got involved with the local dev community here in London. That got me involved with conferences and user groups and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I spent a couple of years as a CTO at Skills Matter. Uh, before they, uh, the, that incarnation of the business um, stopped operating in about October last year. And following that, I went independent, doing bits of consultancy, focusing at the moment on uh, my plan for this year was to do a lot of online uh, and offline training. Obviously, the situation has changed a little. Um, and at this uh, exact point in time, uh, so generally, I'm working with NDC conferences to virtualize a whole bunch of their events which are taking place, which we're going we're gonna to talk about in a moment. Um, but at this exact moment, I'm uh, talking to you, but I'm also virtually attending the Half Stack online conference where they're going to be uh, streaming some pre-recorded content that I recorded yesterday, which they're going to be streaming live in about an hour's time, and then doing a live Q&A and stuff after that. So... Uh, yeah, it would be fair to say that I'm immersed in virtual conferences pretty much 24-7 at the moment, uh, which has its its good points and its bad points, but certainly it, it gives me a lot of interesting perspective to talk about it from. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> what is Halfstack? So Halfstack is a JavaScript. Um, it's run by a guy called Dylan Shiman, who used to run it all over the world, Tel Aviv, Phoenix, San Francisco, London. Um, and it started out as a sort of cross between a conference and a, I guess, a celebration, like a party. We'd, we'd kick off around lunchtime on a Friday. There'd be a whole bunch of sessions about people doing interesting things with JavaScript and web development. And then, you know, there'd be a quiz and some live music and, and that kind of stuff. And it ran as a sort of companion event to the full stack conference, which was a big JavaScript and, and web conference that uh, used to run here in London. Um, and so, you know, I got to know the crew through that, and he's now Dylan, other Dylan, Dylan Shiman, has, has turned it into an online event. And uh, yeah, that's been running since it kicked off at, at 12 o'clock UTC, and it's going through till about 4 o'clock in the morning, so that folks in the, the US and Canada can join the tail end of it and enjoy that Friday night. Um, and yeah, JavaScript, web, Internet of Things. We had a guy doing motion capture with animatronic puppets a little while ago. We've had some live ambient music programming with Sonic Pi and JavaScript and stuff. And it's uh, today's one, I, I believe it's running as a fundraiser. So tickets, I think, are 30 euros or something. Uh, proceeds are going to COVID-19 charity activities. And it's just a bunch of nerds kind of hanging out online and having fun, really. Are there a lot of conferences going on virtually? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. You. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting that the situation that you know has happened. It happened very suddenly. Uh, I was the last physical conference I did was go to Oslo, which was actually it was on a cruise ship in the first week in March. And three weeks out, it was all absolutely fine, and there was no reason to be concerned. And two weeks out, a couple of people were like, mm, maybe not. And the, the week before, you know, I don't envy them, the organizers, the logistics of working out what could and could not happen. Um, as it happens, they did the whole thing as a sort of hybrid event. 
but a couple of us were were there anyway because you know we had travel commitments that were going to put us in Copenhagen on the day and the airports were still operating and everything um but you know we're now i think approaching the end i've always thought there's about a three month uh, sort of planning window for running events and stuff where you know if it's three months before and you need to cancel your ticket that's probably okay and you probably get a refund and if you have a venue booked or you have some catering booked kind of three months out is when you can still change your mind and not lose a fortune over it and once you get into that three-month window at that point any changes start to impact travel plans and flight bookings and deposits and all this kind of stuff and so i think what we're what we're seeing at the moment uh, somebody used the expression we're flushing the pipeline all of the events that at the, the very beginning of this year had been locked in and they had the date and the venues and you know done deals with sponsors and partners and speakers were lined up to present um and you know for those events the organizers have had to very very quickly decide what are we going to do are we going to postpone it are we going to cancel it and give everyone their money back are we going to uh say we're going to just roll it over into next year or are we going to try and adapt it to run online um and i think every conference has done something a little bit different in terms of how they've they've risen to the challenge there um but yeah what i'm seeing is a lot of one a lot of events we're just we're sticking with the same dates in the format but it's going to be a digital event now it's going to be online some of them started out by postponing by a, a month or two while they figured out what was going on and now they're like nope it's going to happen but it's going to be it's going to be online a couple have canceled completely uh, you know, some even, I think, with the Microsoft MVP Summit, they've already decided that there is not going to be a physical event next year. So March 2021, they've already made the announcement that they are focusing on doing that digitally from from now, um, which is interesting. And we can talk more about them in a, in a moment. Uh, but there is a lot of stuff going on. And it's so I think this week I've done... Uh, program committee in Melbourne, which of course was remote. I've done a talk in Romania, which of course was remote. Uh, I'm talking to you now, and you're in Boston, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm talking to you in Boston, but also on the other screen, I have this conference that's an international conference with people on from Berlin and Phoenix, Arizona, and all these kinds of places. Um, and yeah, there is a lot of it, a lot of it going on. As a participant, or, or yeah. let's put it this way, as someone who was meant to attend uh, the MVP Summit this year, the one in March, mm. I would have gone. I had a hotel booked. Um, I was about to book my flights, but I started to see this problem arising, and I delayed mm -hmm. and delayed, and it got cancelled. But when the event rolled around online, I'm working. I can't attend it. I think yeah. I caught one or two talks. What do you see You know, from the perspective of participants now? It's it's interesting, you know, one of the things that we've all lost as a result of the situation we're in is the the physical and environmental cues that your psychology uses to switch your brain into a different gear. Uh, you know, one, one thing that I spent a lot of time doing over the last couple of years is I would physically go to a conference, but I'd be working on other things while I was there. So I'd be sat at in the cafeteria or, you know, sometimes even sat in the back of a talk, um, something that I wasn't, I didn't want to watch the whole thing, but I wanted to go ahead and along and, you know, give the speaker some notes because they'd asked me to sit in or something. And so you'd physically be there. You'd be very much part of that event, but you'd be working on something else. 
Whereas now, you know, right, if I look over there, uh, that screen is, is half stuck online. If I look at that screen, I'm at a virtual conference. If I look back over here, my focus has shifted and I'm looking at you and I'm not at the conference anymore. Um, and, you know, it is when we, we did NDC Porto, which is uh, the, the one we ran at the end of April, that was pretty big and pretty full on and pretty immersive. Uh, you know, a lot of people I felt were giving that a lot of undivided attention for the duration. Um, and I think different events are having varying degrees of success in how well they do that. And I think some of them aren't even trying. They're optimizing for a very different kind of attendee experience. Uh, I caught quite a, a, a chunk of content from Microsoft MS Build, which ran earlier earlier this week. I, the days are all blurring into one. <laughs> Just so um, people know, we're recording Friday 22nd of May. So yeah. It was a few days ago that uh, uh, so, yeah. Build was on build was a couple of days ago um and you know that was very very slick that i think if i'd put that up on a big screen tv and just sat there and had it playing on tv i'd probably have, have caught the majority of it but i hadn't blocked out that in my schedule because i wasn't planning to go to build um and i think that's the the thing that's interesting is realizing that attending a, a virtual event you need to give it a massive conscious time commitment because otherwise it's just another thing on another screen and as soon as you open a browser window in front of it, it's it's gone. And you don't have that thing where every time you look up from your laptop, you're like, oh, I'm in Berlin. Yeah, I remember. This is cool. Let's go and you know get some breakfast and see if anyone wants to go and grab a bagel or something. Um, and uh, you know, from, from that as an attendee, it is obviously a very different experience. But the flip side to that is I've been seeing you know, engagement and conversation from people who, for various reasons, would never have been able to attend these events in person um, because of, of travel logistics and because of, uh, you know, various accessibility issues and that kind of thing. Um, and that's interesting. And that's something I really hope we're going to keep with, you know, whatever happens beyond this thing is that level of offline online participation that allows people to be part of something without necessarily having to uh, you know take a week out of their schedule and fly halfway around the world and check into a hotel and all that kind of stuff um, personally i can't wait to go back to doing that because i love travel it's one of my favorite things to do and i miss it very much right now um but i realize that's not an approach that everybody enjoys or you know is able to participate in and i think we're the, the rate of change, you know, we've probably got five years worth of digital transformation has happened in six weeks because there was no other choice. Um, Amazon has still sold out of webcams, you know. Um, and I think there is, you know, in amongst the, the chaos and the, the rapid changes and everything, there's a lot of very, very valuable lessons and experience that we're all gaining. Um, and, you know, there's there's a, a conference coming up in, in June.next, which is one of the biggest uh, .NET events in Russia. Um, and visiting Russia has always been difficult for various, you know, social and political reasons. Um, and now anyone who wants to can tune in, and there's a, a bunch of speakers on the bill there who you wouldn't normally get to see at any other event. Uh, some are obviously speaking in Russian. A lot of them are speaking in English. Um, and that's online, and you can get tickets. You can join that and watch it from wherever you are in the world. So... Let's turn it around, though, from the perspective of a presenter. Mm -hmm. It has changed as well. So like, obviously some of the things would be yeah. you can now apply to conferences you couldn't have possibly gotten to, yeah. perhaps Russia, or mm -hmm. geographically remote and fit in with your travel plans. But there must also be, I presume, a lot more people applying 
for the same conference slots. So like NBC would be an example of a thousand people applying for a hundred slots. Are there 10,000 people now or, you know, 2000 or something? Okay. So the, the thing that is very strange at the moment is that the, um, the incentive model for people who speak at conferences is effectively gone. Uh, you know, it used to, the, proposition for most speakers used to be, look, we'll pay your flights, we'll put you up in a hotel, we'll get you a nice dinner. In exchange, you spend two or three days, you do your talk, you do your workshops, uh, you hang out, you talk to people, you make yourself available. Um, and you know, you as a speaker were part of a product that people attendees would pay to participate in. And you know, that I'm far from the only person. A lot of people are like, you know, what's in it for me now? And that's a question that, you know, every conference out there that is hoping to operate commercially during the lockdown period and beyond is considering uh, because there's a lot of loyalty. There's a lot of friendship and goodwill. And many speakers I know, um, you know, that the conferences we're doing are the ones that we'd said we'd do back in January and February. Um, You know, the competition to get into something like NDC Oslo is, is tremendous. We had, I think, 1400 submissions for about 100 speaking slots but that was a physical event and all of those people who submitted were submitting to go and spend a couple of days in norway in the middle of summer and go out on a cruise boat and you know all all that kind of stuff um that has changed dramatically and i already see you know some events are like look it's it's just pure revenue share now. We, you do a virtual workshop for us, and we're going to give you a share of the, the proceeds from the event because we want to keep the, the sort of commercial lifeblood of this organization ticking over whilst we figure out what the next phase of this looks like. Um, some of them have, have shut down completely. I did have a couple of speculative ones from conferences going, hey, we would never have flown you here because we don't have budget, but now it's online. Do you want to do a talk? And I'm like, well... You know, no. <laughs> Sometimes the answer is just there is very little value in this for me. You're not in a in an area or an industry where I'm gonna, um, you know, attract a lot of commercial interest for the stuff that I'm doing. I would have loved to come and visit you in person, but that's not going to happen right now. Um, and I do think, you know, both for the the industry and for a lot of speakers, what they're doing right now is they are honoring commitments that predated the current situation, but they are not making any more until somebody figures out a way of of making the whole thing you know adapting the model and you know there's all kinds of things like i've done uh, one of my talks now uh five or six times virtually um and when i do it in person you know it's different every time because it's a different audience it's a different venue there's uh, you drop in jokes from the people you were talking to in the bar last night and and those kinds of things um but i've done that six times now live in the same room in the same house to the same camera um and it's getting to a point where it's just it's a recital. It's not really a presentation anymore. It's that that kind of to and fro is is gone. And at that point, it's like, well, I could just tell them to watch the YouTube video, or I could play them the recording from last time, and pretend it was live. And you know, it, it's raising a lot of very interesting uh, questions, challenges, and opportunities about the best way to deliver that kind of content. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but NDC Melbourne, which is happening in uh, July, end of July, uh, we've recast that 
to be workshops. So it's it's big workshops and then it's little workshops, so three and a half hours. Um, the whole thing is on a, a revenue split basis, so the people who are giving their time are getting you know remunerated for that. But that is, you know, the workshop format for doing stuff online actually works very well. I, I did a couple of sessions in the last few weeks. I did one with a group from Ukraine, um, and we were building distributed systems together in this workshop, about 12 of us for a, for a day. But it was a real distributed system. We had message buses passing messages between London and Kiev and Kharkiv and backwards and, you know, people running code on their own desktops at home that was responding to something someone else did in a different country. And from that perspective, it's like we just built an international distributed system with literal microservices. That thing on your laptop right now, that's a microservice. Watch, it's going to do something. Um, And I think we're going to see a shift towards kind of deeper where you really get a lot more value than you would from the difference between watching a talk on a screen or watching a video on a screen, more interactive Q and a more hands-on more engaging with the presenters, but also more smaller groups, uh, you know, longer, longer periods of time, three or four hours being a sort of level that seems to work pretty well. Um, I think there's tremendous opportunity in doing that. And I think that's something that will, once we got the hang of it, a lot of people will keep doing. I think there's a lot of people like myself who are like, well, you know, I'll, I'll fly to um, Switzerland if you really want, but we could do this whole thing remote. You know, it'll work almost as well. And it, it is a lot easier on everybody's time and commitments and stuff. So I don't know. It's On the one hand, it feels like this thing has gone on forever. On the other hand, it's been you know, two months, two and a bit months. It's still very early days. Yeah, so, I can see the revenue model working in the in the workshop side because it would be you know a significant amount of time, and you're going to be paid some percentage of what the uh, yeah. people who show up to your workshop. But on let's say the, the giving a talk, it's a lot of work to put together a talk, and yeah. unless you're going to bang that out seven or eight times, you yeah. may not get the investment back. Yeah. But as you said, it gets quite dull presenting the same thing over and over. I wouldn't have necessarily said it was dull. I find you know? it dull. I, I've done it. I, I've presented um, yeah. a talk five or six times. And I, I find it boring by the fourth or fifth time. But maybe that's... I mean, me. there's... Yeah, it's... I always enjoy it. I do still enjoy... I, I don't enjoy the build-up. Um, you know, I, I miss the buzz and the, the camaraderie of the travel and uh, venue and all that kind of stuff. But once you, you, know, you get in the zone and you're up and you're talking, I still enjoy that. I still very much enjoy that part of the process. But then afterwards, it's like, ah, I'm exhausted and I'm here in my office by myself and I have a Zoom call in half an hour. Um, and I think that's the bit I miss because, you know, you go to conferences, you do a talk. If you're early on in the program, you'll have two or three days of people coming up to you and wanting to talk about the thing that you presented. And, of course, it's something you're interested in. That's why you present it. And so you have these these wonderful conversations and, you know, collaborations and friendships emerge from that. Um, and that's the thing which which is hard with technology is serendipitous conversation. You know, you're never going to bump into anyone getting coffee because the coffee is in your kitchen and the conference is in your office or your bedroom or your living room. Um, and, you know, that that isn't happening. No, it's the same thing with work, though. Um, yeah. You know, we have I have arranged meetings, talk about a particular topic. I don't bump into someone to ask them what yeah. they're working on, you know, and I might yeah. find out they're working on something similar. Uh, let, let me ask you something a little bit different, though. Um, what are the conferences doing to keep people interested now? Attendees are, interested, let's say. 
So the various different approaches. Um, the one that, that we've taken with the NDC events that I'm I'm working with, uh, which is kind of very much my own instigation, is we're going to set up a Slack workspace for the duration of the conference. We're going to put everybody in it. You know, Slack is a familiar tool that most of us are in the habit of keeping an eye on during the day, and so that's the the backbone, if you like. That's the virtual venue. And you get chats and things happening in there and, you know, people spinning up like a little Zoom or a WebEx call and going, hey, you know, anyone want to have a cup of coffee and talk about this? Uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. We're still adapting to the format. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is to communicate clearly there will be online content from 9 a.m. until 10. Then there will be a 20-minute break. Go use the bathroom, stretch your legs, go outside, get a drink of water or a cup of coffee. Um, you are not exp you're not going to miss anything if you take a break then. And then at 20 past 10, the content will resume. And if you want to pay attention to it, that's when you get back online. Um, because I think you know one of the ways to keep people's attention is to make it a, a transparent negotiation. It's like, you know, we know that the, the online format can be quite tiring and, you know, the sort of Zoom fatigue kicks in or whatever you want to call it. So here's the deal. You give us an hour, then we'll give you half an hour. Then you give us an hour, then we give you half an hour. You know when those things are going to be. Um, and I think, you know, people who are... We, I'm sure you've been like I have in physical in-person meetings where it's been 45 minutes and you're like, I have no idea how long I'm going to be sat here. And if someone says we got five more minutes, you're like, I can pay attention for five more minutes. I know there's coffee and biscuits at the end of that. I feel like it could be another three hours. You're like, I'm just going to tune out. I'm going to, you know, play on my phone, whatever, try and stay awake. And so that's part of it. Um, and the other thing that, you know, we, we've all realized is the spontaneous bunch of people at a conference who are like, oh, we're all in the hotel lobby. Should we go and have dinner and, and chat together? That's never going to happen. Because once you take away the focus, the reason for being there, people take off their headsets, they go out, you know, hang out with their families, or they go outside for a walk. Um, and so the serendipity never happens. And so if you want to spend an hour that evening having drinks and chatting to people, you say to them, look, we are going to be online at nine o'clock for an hour having drinks and chatting. That's what's going to happen. If this is something that appeals to you, that's where you go and, and that's what you do. Um, and that's something, you know, it, it's not something I think anyone figured out, certainly not in advance of the first event that, that I was involved with. It's like, oh, there's a Slack channel, but nobody's on it. Oh, well, they must all be in their houses eating food, you know. Um, and so now it's you adapt from that. And, uh, you know, some events do a, a, a better job of putting breaks in with, you know, interludes and filler. The build thing ran almost like a telethon. You know, we did a, an, another event, Dev Around the Sun, which was a 24-hour live-streamed charity telethon, you know, it ran from, from noon until noon, uh, UTC. Um, and that was constant. There was content running all the time, 25 minutes of session and then 15 minutes of, of MCs chatting and then another session. And so there's different approaches. We're figuring out, you know, what works, trying different things with different events. Um, but, you know, something I, I said to a bunch of people very early on is everyone's like, oh, online conference is never going to work. I'm like, you binged season eight of Game of Thrones in one go. Like, you got form for sitting, staring at a screen for 11 hours solid. 
and using your phone to talk about what you were watching, you know, once you start thinking, well, how do we replicate that experience? The content on the screen is compelling enough that it holds your attention, and then you have the back channels or the Twitter chats or the Slack workspaces where people can talk about what they're watching. Um, you know, we've all spent hours of our lives sat transfixed by something that's happening on a, on a display screen of some form or another. Um, let's take some lessons from television. Let's take some lessons from Hollywood. Let's, you know, what, are, what do they do to make live broadcast compelling even when you can't be in the room? There's got to be a joke somewhere in there about a very disappointing end to Game of Thrones. <laughs> I can't come up with it right now. Let me ask you, so we, we were talking about NDC quite a bit. So NDC is Norwegian Developer Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally has multiple tracks so maybe six seven talks on at the same time is that what they're going to continue doing um for their next conference ndc oslo coming up in june yes um so oslo very much is preserving the schedule and the format that would have driven the physical event uh so it's uh nine tracks i think probably nine um and, you know, scheduled in such a way that you take a break, you look at what's coming up next, and then you, you go and you join the session that you you want to part- participate in. Uh, and one of the, the things that we're doing with those events is that the sessions are live and the audience are actually invited. If you want to, you can join the call, switch on your camera, and actually be part of a live audience so the presenters get some, some real feedback. They're not just talking to a camera that's streaming to YouTube 20 seconds later or something. Um, you, what, what is your role within uh, the NDC enterprise? Um, the the title that we came up with was online community ambassador, um, and basically, you know, what I'm doing uh, until the end of June for them is being a point of contact for all of the speakers and the audience attendees who are like, how's this going to work? I still want to do NDC. I want to do it online, but I have no idea how any of this is going to function. So I've been figuring out logistics and how to do things like uh, session feedback voting and, but mainly just, you know, being the person who runs the webinars, runs the meetups, runs the virtual sound checks, makes sure everyone is briefed on how this is going to work and, uh, you know, reassures them, look, we'll handle the technology. This is going to work. We know what we're doing. You just turn up and do a really good talk. We'll get some people in the room with you. We'll uh, make sure that everyone is muted. So you want to stand on the other side of your living room and do the best presentation you've ever done. You do that bit. We'll handle this bit. We'll make sure the attendees are getting the the bandwidth and the quality they need out of that experience. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a, a very, very interesting, very, very rapid learning curve for everybody. But uh, for various reasons, I was just a little bit ahead of the curve when it came to figuring out how to do virtual online events um, and have been working pretty much solid to stay ahead of the curve and anticipate the, the changes that are happening, the way different events are doing things. Um, and of course, you know, that's, that's stuff that I think is going to be useful for a long time beyond this. Uh, a lot of the the changes we've seen in the world are not going to disappear overnight. So, you know. On that point, NDC uh, typically has an NDC London, a Porto, um, an Oslo, Minnesota. Those things don't quite make sense right now, but I I presume they're going to maintain the naming in the expectation that we will return to normal conferences. Yeah. 
it's I mean you know it's it's early days yet uh, like I said there's the the flushing the pipeline gets us as far as Oslo in June Melbourne is happening in July on the original dates but with a, a revised format uh, Minnesota and Manchester which were going to be the other two and the and Sydney as well actually we're going to be the other half of this year um, still figuring out what the the best approach to take is with those something will happen the one thing that we've learned is time zones is actually still a really big deal um, for NDC Melbourne we have a, a bunch of people who are teaching remotely from Europe who are going to be getting up or staying up their classes will start at midnight and run for eight hours so I think that whatever happens, there is still going to be a kind of geographical alignment of speakers are more likely to accept an event if it's in a time zone that's convenient for them. And that gives you some natural kind of partitioning of the global audience into you know, groups where it, it makes sense. Um, it's funny, you know, I, I run the, the London.net user group, and the last couple of events that we've run have been little ad hoc online things. Um, the focus has diversified way beyond talking about .net, and now it's diversified way beyond London as well. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting looking the one of the, the, the fascinating things about virtual events is there's no travel overhead uh you know it used to be if you wanted to go to a meetup you'd leave work at six o'clock you'd try and arrive by seven and then it would take you an hour to travel home afterwards and so it had to be two or three hours of content to make it worth the commute now it's like hey do a 20 minute meetup be on at six someone's going to talk about javascript and you're off done by 6 30 and of course just snap your fingers and you're back in your house um, and that's something we haven't quite figured out yet. And, uh, you know, it, it's I, I'm noticing people's perceptions are starting to change a little bit from how do we what do we do while this temporary thing is being temporary to what are we going to do if this goes on till Christmas? Uh, and actually starting to think, do we start running new groups? Do we start running new kinds of events? What's a, a good way of, of optimizing for the situation and the format and stuff? Um, but yeah, the geographical question, you know, the, the other big consideration with that, of course, for a lot of companies and speakers is it used to make sense in terms of travel arrangements that somebody would come over to Europe from the US or from Australia and they do Sweden one week, they do Finland the week after that, Norway the week after that, Lithuania the week after that, Ukraine the week after that, and then go home for six months. And now it's like, well, you're not going to do the same talk in the same time zone back to back in a six week period. Um, you know, how do we figure that stuff out? We don't know, you know. Um, what, what happens with NDC and the free recording? So that's something that I don't know if they're they're one of the you know the big conferences that yeah. pretty much everything that's presented is available maybe a month or something like that after yeah. a conference on YouTube at no cost. I think that's going to continue happening. Uh, certainly for the, the events that we've done so far, one of the advantages of the live streaming setup is that getting a recording of the video is no additional overhead because you have that anyway. Um, and yeah, I, I suspect that that format, you know, the, the content, some speakers have asked us not to because they're not comfortable yet with the online format. And they're like, I don't want you putting a permanent record out there of me trying to figure this out and so you know the, the the default there is yeah if we've got the content it'll it'll get shared and it'll be posted online but again i think that's very much a 
preserving as much of the original format as we can for the events that were already already confirmed. Um, what happens beyond that? What I haven't seen yet is anybody saying we are going to run a massive online conference that we weren't planning to, but we have seen an opportunity here to do something new. Events have been adapted, cancelled, or postponed, and there's been some, you know, charity fundraiser type things. But I, I haven't yet seen anybody, with the possible exception of the MVP Summit in in 2021, I haven't yet seen anybody go. We think there is a massive opportunity with online conferences. This is how we're going to do it, and I think that'll happen. I think if you know the the situation we're in lasts longer than another few months, or if it, you know, elements of it are something that keeps recurring. I think we will see a opportunity there, and I'm sure you know that the existing organizations who have a good brand recognition will be in a situation to to do something fantastic with that opportunity. But I think it's too early to say. Um, you know, somebody said the other day, "Has this cancelled yet?" It's like, no, the organizers are too busy cancelling event A to cancel event B. They're going to cancel it as soon as they've got time, and. You know, I think people people forget that canceling an, an event properly actually takes a huge amount of investment. Turning, uh, not investment, I mean commitment, time and, and effort and communication, canceling, virtualizing, postponing, all of these become a sudden full-time workload for the people who thought they were done. It's planned. We booked the venue. We booked the catering. The speakers are locked in. What do you mean we need to turn it into an online conference and we got six weeks? So, um, and yeah. I think at the moment, the stuff which was going to be on YouTube will still be on YouTube because that was just the plan. Um, but the events which are being cast with a, a new plan, don't know. On the topic of branding and the like, a lot of conferences make a significant amount of money from sponsorship. You know, mm -hmm. X company has a stand or a presentation or they get a, a speaker slot. I presume that does make up a large part of the the income for a conference company. Mm -hmm. what, what's going to happen with online now? <clears throat> so, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking now, I've had far more experience when I was with Skills Matter of, of seeing the way that the commercials for that kind of thing worked. There is a, a fundamental value proposition, I think, which is the sponsor gives you a certain amount of money and they get a certain amount of leads. And I'm sure you've seen lots of events where it's like, hey, enter our free prize draw by giving us your details. Um, the main reason, you know, there are events out there that will sell attendee lists. None of the events I've been organized, I've been uh, involved with have been, been big on doing that. And now that GDPR is the law, it's much, much more complicated being able to, to do those kinds of things. So the proposition is you come to our conference you put up a stand, you give away a Nintendo Switch or an Xbox or some licenses, people enter your contest, you get to have a chat, demo your new shiny technology, and all the conference, uh, the, the contest entries, those are your marketing leads, and then you go away and do whatever you want to do with those. Um, and a lot of that actually translates pretty easily into a digital format. Uh, the difficulty, as with anything, is just getting people's attention. And, uh, you know, a lot of... Again, I think there's a certain amount of loyalty. I've seen events where the sponsors who were going to do it when it was physical are like, yeah, we'll, we'll, 
we'll stick with this. We'll help you adapt. And, you know, it's not going to be the same for any of us, but we're going to honor the commitment and, and do this thing. But again, it's like, what does phase two or phase three of this look like? What does the, the sponsorship arrangement look like when, how would you approach a, a brand new sponsor, for example, and say, we're running an online conference in December and we're looking for commercial partners for it. And, you know, uh, my, my own thinking has not, got very far down that road yet i don't know if there are people out there who are further ahead um but yeah you know it, it you have to kind of look at it from a the different participants in a physical event all get different things out of it the attendees get learning and they get friends and they get a couple of days out of the office they have some you know good time uh, the speakers grow their networks we get to travel we get to see different places the sponsors get you know engagement they get uh, marketing leads they get exposure and promotion and potential marketing activity out of it um, and there is I don't think any way of just translating the whole thing online and preserving all of that content and that value for everybody and so you get a you know decisions companies are like well what are we going to optimize for conversation or commercials are we going to optimize for live performance or are we going to optimize for recordings and long tail value and you know everyone is adapting as, as fast as they can and figuring out what works and what doesn't you touched on it earlier that build ran this week yeah. was it viewed as a success uh, from what I've seen, resoundingly so. Um, there's a big CNN article today talking about how... Uh, so it's so a build, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's a big Microsoft event where they announce a lot of new products and initiatives and technology, kind of like the Apple developer conference or the big Google developer conference. Um, and, you know, most, certainly the, the Apple and the Google and Facebook ones this year were all just canceled. They're like, we're not going to do it. Um, and Microsoft build, I think last year, got 6,000 attendees in uh, attending in person in, in Seattle. This year they had 200,000 virtual attendees. Um, you know, registrations, people signing up online. It helps that you don't have to fly to Seattle. It helps that they made it free. Um, so there's a lot of things they did differently. But in terms of generating the, the headlines and the buzz and the conversation about new products that are coming out of Microsoft, it was, a, I think, a phenomenal success. And also, you know, got some major CNN, like I said, did this, this, this big article about Microsoft Build, an online event with 200,000 people. Um, and it was very, very slick. You know, the, the bits of it that I saw were they had a, a core team, I think, actually physically in a studio anchoring the whole thing and switching over to live sessions. Uh, it was all live streamed. We had, you know, Scott Hanselman doing his keynote, which at one point he picked up his, his camera and his laptop and walked out into his backyard and was out there, you know, sat in the garden showing how the new mobile interfaces for GitHub would let you do code reviews from your backyard and this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm sure elements of it were lucky and elements of it were staged and i'm sure there were half a dozen things that were supposed to happen that didn't and none of us even know what they were because they just kind of rolled with it um but i thought that was a very interesting example of when you have an organization with microsoft's budget and their technology capability what they can do with it um and you know a lot of interesting lessons for all of us in how well they pulled that off i think so do you yeah. think let's say if things in a in a broader sense get back to normal 
Mm-hmm. Do you think conferences will go back to the way they were? I I don't know. I mean, I think to to answer your the exact question you asked me, if things go back to normal, then conferences will also go back to normal. I I believe that. Uh, the thing is, I don't think things are going to back to back to normal. I think things are going to change into something different. Um, you know the the I don't know if you've heard the expression super spreader, but this idea of you get a couple of thousand people together in a confined space for three days and then they all go back to their hometowns and everything, you know, that is a a nightmare from any kind of epidemiology perspective. And so, you know, there are several different outcomes to the situation. Uh, I know nothing about the the biology or the science behind the whole thing but if it's not safe to be in a room with a thousand people there are not going to be conferences like the ones we had last year um that's obvious uh, if they say you can have events but you've got to be two meters of stay two meters apart the whole time uh then what do we do if they say you can have events up to a hundred people then what do we do um now one one thing i think we may see before very long is uh kind of distributed conferences so it's not people streaming from their bedrooms and and offices the way we are at the moment but it's like there's an event in london which is maybe 10 speakers with an audience of 50 but all of that is then streamed online to a, a larger global audience which is not necessarily people watching at home and maybe people getting together in you know offices or you know like people watching football in a pub you know, that kind of thing. Um, and the, the interesting thing about it is a lot of this, you have to remember when we used to do like virtual watch parties, which used to happen, the online conferences, they were always competing with real conferences that might be happening at the same time. And so they always felt a little bit uh, you know, paled in comparison. Whereas if the alternatives don't exist, people invest more in what they've got. And when you invest more in it, you get more out of it. And so, uh, you know, in the middle of last year, if I'd said to someone, hey, you know, let's let's book an upstairs room at a pub, 20 of us, and, and watch the NDC keynote, people would have been like, nah. But now it's like, actually, yeah, that sounds like more fun than we've had in months. Let's yeah. do that. That could be brilliant. Um, and, you know, it's, it's watching different countries start relaxing restrictions. Uh, you know, Australia, I think, now is, is on the way being you can't cross the state borders and the, the international borders are closed. Um, but the things that are getting relaxed, people are going back to bars and restaurants. And it's, I don't know, I think it's impossible to predict with any certainty what's going to happen. Uh, I think we're still at the point now where if, if a vaccine was developed tomorrow and available internationally, things would probably go back to something we'd recognize as normal. That's not going to happen. It's not how vaccines work. Um, yeah, and, and I don't know. But the, the kind of nice thing about it is everybody is in the same situation you know, to to a lesser or greater extent, we are all facing the same challenge. This is an international pandemic. You know, you imagine if, if you turn to one conference or one community and said, you, you're not allowed more than 20 people in a room. The rest of the world can do what they like, but you're not allowed this. They'd just be like, well, this is unfair, you know, anti-competition. We're shutting down and we're going to sue you. Um, that's not the situation we're in. All of us are having to, to adapt as best we can and, and get as much value and engagement out of the situation and you know that in some ways makes it a much friendlier 
set of problems to be trying to work through, you know? On a related but not quite the same idea, I've thought for a little while that uh, the climate change activism was going to turn its attention towards conferences. You know, there there is a case to be made that it doesn't make sense to fly the same people to multiple conferences to give the same talk, mm-hmm. flights, hotels, food, flying in participants when you could either stream it or you could watch it because it's already on YouTube or there's a, an equivalent. Yeah. Do you think that's something that would or would, would have come for conferences if this hadn't happened? It's always been a, a open question, you know. Um, obviously, some uh, people involved in technology events do a lot of traveling and rack up a, a lot of air miles. Um, my personal take on all this, what I hope we get is that that kind of, you know, traveling for something special comes back because it's worth it. You know, the the value that I personally have had from the international travel I've done will never, ever be replicated by uh, you know, YouTube videos and Slack workspaces, um, because it gives you an opportunity to understand the the culture and the perspective that different people are bringing to trying to solve what superficially look like the same set of problems. Uh, you know, I do a lot of events in Russia, Ukraine, Eastern Europe, and you know, particularly in in Russia and the former Soviet Union, you have developers where the the economic landscape from which they emerged was communism you know it was the collapse of the soviet union it was 10 years of economic uh, you know massive disruption and uncertainty and then this sort of weird level playing field and i don't think you'll ever get a sense from you can watch as many russian and ukrainian developers giving talks on youtube about how their startups working and that kind of stuff but until you actually go and walk through somewhere like kiev or odessa and go wow you built a startup here this is i get it now um and that you're not gonna get virtually you don't get that that understanding of the the things we have in common and the different kind of situations and economic uh challenges is the wrong word because there's lots of things about it which are not challenges at all it's it's opportunities that we don't have um but that you know to me is incredibly valuable now what i i hope happens is that we stop driving to work and taking trains to work every day because that is a stupid pointless waste of money and time and diesel um you know i would quite like a situation where everybody is at home except when they're actually traveling to something which is going to be a a memorable event and something a lot of people are finding is you know working from home is great when you can go and meet your friends for dinner it's working from home is great when you can get out of town for the weekend it's working from home and eating from home and sleeping from home and weekends from home and everything from home is what's kind of driving people a you know a little bit manic with with all this stuff that's going on um and so you know i i it's always going to be a, a a complicated question uh regarding you know the, the the economic value and the personal value of doing these things versus the economic and personal impact of doing them it's a decision you know everyone makes for themselves the pressure groups can make things more or less socially acceptable i still see people smoking cigarettes and you know that's something we've all known for a long time is expensive antisocial and very bad for you but you know it's a i guess a a, a discussion that will go on but at the moment 
there's no one flying anywhere anyway. So, hmm. yeah, just on that point of the work from home, um, I, I I know you're using it as a sort of it's not just work from home, but a lot yeah. of companies do refer to it that way, and it, it yeah. becomes quite annoying because it isn't. It is. Yeah, a sense of isolation where you cannot do the things you normally do, even something as simple as shopping, going out for a walk now here in the Boston area requires that you have a face mask available yeah. and you need to put it on. Yeah. When I go for a walk with my daughter, we either cross the street when we see people coming or the people coming towards us cross the street. It's, you know, we are not living in a work from home. It's, it is a probably a, I guess the most stressful time that the world has gone through perhaps <laughs> since World War Two or at some point in the Cold yeah. War, you know, just at, at a global level. On a global scale, absolutely, yes. I think, you know, it's, it's everybody's experiences are different. I was, um, I've had some, some good days and some bad days personally, but, you know, I had those before. And uh, there have been little little patches of time when this has been brilliant. You know, a lot of time to work on projects, um, relatively free of, you know, I, I've been independent now, not working a sort of full-time job for, for several months. So I already had a degree of that. Um, but, you know, different people are responding to it in, in different ways. But you're right. It's not working from home. It's you are stuck at home and you are trying to work. And the thing I find remarkable is how many people are succeeding you know, I'm waiting for people to turn around and go, no, look, you made me come into the office every day for the last five years. I've been working from an ironing board under my stairs for the last three months, and we've shipped more code than we did in the last year. I'm not coming back to work, but by the way, you're going to buy me a desk, and you're going to buy me a chair, and that's how it's going to work from now on. And if you're not up for doing that, I'm going to go and work for a company who will fund the desk and the chair, because actually I've discovered I'm amazingly productive. Um, there's an idea I, I had going off on a bit of a tangent for a while is, you know, I, I would love to see a, a model where there is an office that I can walk to in 10 or 15 minutes that I share not with people who have the same employer, but with people who live in the same neighborhood. And so the the environmental and the financial impact of commuting is is gone, but you get out of the house in the morning, you put shoes on and, you know, you, you have a shower and get dressed and you go out, you get a cup of coffee and you go into the office and you chat to people, you go and you have pizza together at lunchtime, but it's, you know, when you sit down at your desk, you're in a virtual space aligned with the, the people who are collaborating on your projects that is not the same as the physical space where you are working. Um, and then, you know, end of the day, hey, everyone, have a great weekend. I'll see you all on Monday. Maybe a couple of you go and have beers. And, you know, we, we manage a, a sort of hybrid, global, massively distributed community with a, a local, fairly closely coupled community. It's a model I, I, I don't know if anywhere in the world has done this successfully, but maybe now is the time to start, you know, putting something in it. I think on that very positive note, we'll call it a day. Fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure as always. Dylan Beattie, thank you very much. If you like this episode, you might also like episode 90 with Shesti Sandberg and Charlotte Ling about the Norwegian Developer Conference.
The opening music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Last Bar Guests by Lobo Loco from the album Salad Mixed. <laughs> 